Hey everybody, this episode recorded last October, and I thought it'd be a great time to play this episode over again, as Ryan Carter had some great advice in here for the hockey season and how players can get through trials, and he's got some great stories to tell us about how he got here. Hope you enjoy it. From Lakely, it's How I Got Here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Kosky, and on today's show, how getting cut from a Batam team teaches a lesson that is learned for life. In Minnesota, high school hockey is a thing. Thousands of spectators come watch the games and the state tournament is played at the XL Energy Center, which is the Minnesota Wild's home ice to handle all the fans. And the state final is played in front of a sold out crowd almost every year. So needless to say, in the United States, Minnesota is a hockey hotbed. So to be a Mr. Hockey finalist, which is the best graduating high school player in the state of Minnesota, is pretty impressive. That's what Ryan Carter was. He was a 2002 finalist. But what does that mean? Does it mean that you are going to have the golden ticket to big money in an NHL? Well, the 2002 Mr. Hockey was Guy Geyer, who was drafted but never made the NHL. But Ryan Carter did. Not only did he make it, but he played 473 games over nine seasons in the NHL. This is Ryan's story. Uh, it was good. It was an honest house. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, I was probably... It's safe to describe me as a little stinker growing up, but there's, I had to be honest, my dad was, uh, he was smart, he's never a detective, but he knew how to ask questions, right? So he knew exactly what I was doing at all times, and um, he knew how to set me up, too, where um, if he knew I was getting into something or doing something I shouldn't know, he knew how to ask questions and get me to, you know, maybe incriminate myself and then catch me in a lie, and then he'd teach me, you know, listen, we don't do that, and things like that, but... Um, it was good, very disciplined, um, but uh, it was a household that he taught me, to be honest. So can you think of a story where uh, you thought you got away with one with your dad, and all of a sudden, through the questioning, he, he got you? Yeah, there's no question. Uh, this one sticks out in my mind. I tell it all the time. Uh, my parents were split, and anybody that's had parents splits, and I was fortunate enough where they were, they were good enough where they wanted to live in close proximity to one another to make it easier on the kids. Um, but as kids, we would use that. So maybe my dad would be out of town for the weekend, and I'd run over to my dad's house and hang out there with my buddies, and you know, parents wouldn't be giving us a hard time about what we're watching or what we're doing. So um, one particular time, uh, I was over at my dad's house. Um, not that I wasn't supposed to be there, but I didn't ask, or he wasn't aware that I was there. Uh, and we, a couple of buddies and I, ordered a pizza. Um, we actually had a couple of beers, uh, or there's a couple of beers there too, and whatever. So um, we took all the garbage and we brought it um, two blocks down. I dumped it in the garbage can and it was stuck outside. Um, whatever, three days go by, my dad comes back and um, he just calls me up on the phone and he goes, 
Ryan, what did you do this weekend? I was like, nothing, hung out. Uh, yeah. He's like, oh, cool, cool. Um, were you over in the neighborhood at all? I was like, yeah, yeah, I was over. We were just hanging with my buddies. He's like, anything else you want to tell me? No, no, there's nothing else, Dad. I got it. I was, that's it. He's like, all right, I'm just checking. Anything else you want to tell me, let me know. He's like, all right, see ya. So I hang up the phone two minutes later. I'm sweating. I was like, he knows, he knows. <laughs> so I come back. I'm like, Dad, Dad, uh, I was over at your house, yeah. He's like, yeah, what'd you guys do here? Uh, nothing. We didn't do anything. We just watched a little TV. And he goes, you guys have pizza? I was like, yeah, yeah, we had pizza. He's like, okay. Just let you know, I found a little, there's a little pizza sauce in the bathroom. It wasn't for me, and, you know, I know, so that's it. Anything else you want to tell me? He's like, no, there's nothing else. He's like, you sure? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, cool. Ten minutes later, I call him back. I'm like, Dad, okay, there's a couple more buddies. He's like, uh, there's a couple girls that stopped over, but it was fine. Everything's good. You know, he's like, pizza? What kind of pizza have? Frozen pizza? He's like, I was like, no, we ordered pizza. He's like, okay, just checking. Um, anybody else call you? Anything else going on? I was like, no, no, we're good. He's like, you sure? He's like, yeah. I called him. We hung up. Call him back ten minutes later. Now I'm completely broken down. I'm sweating and dying. I was like, Dad, Dad, what do you know? What do you got? You know. He's like, all right, I'm coming to get you. So he gets me um, from my mother's house. He takes me to his house, and um, all the cars are out of the garage. And he opens the garage, and in piles is everything that was in that garbage bag laid out and spread out like evidence. So how do you know that he, how did he know that you put the garbage down the street it's a couple dumb, blocks away? It's dumb luck, but he knew how to use me. Somebody didn't recognize the garbage bag in their garbage can. They pulled it out. They used to put the address on the pizza boxes uh-huh. when he ordered from Domino's, so they walked it back over to my house and dropped it off my dad's doorstep. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> but he got to the bottom of it real quick, and he busted my chops. But he, I mean, he sat, I sat there, and he was like, tell me about that pizza. Tell me about those beers. Tell me about this. And um, from that day on, I was like, all right. <laughs> you got to get, you got to be on He got it. I'm not, I'm not going to try to slide him by. <laughs> so as you guys are, uh, so as you're going out there, um, and you start to play in, playing new sports. What sports did you play as a, as a kid? Growing up, I played I played everything as a kid, um, purposely. As the seasons changed, my game changed. Uh, I played baseball, football, hockey. Uh, I ran track. Um, every season, I played a sport. So how involved were your parents in your, in your youth athletic career? They were – my dad coached me in football. He knew football. Um, other than that, uh, he didn't coach, but – they were involved in the sense that they brought me to all of them, that somebody was likely there for everything. Um, I don't know. And my dad, they taught me. I learned how to compete from my mother and my father. Um, but other than that, it was, um, I'd say I probably had to carve my own path through athletics. I had to do my own things. Um, parents weren't calling coaches. They weren't talking to anybody. They just dropped me off and picked me up. So what kind of coach was your dad? Uh, my dad was a good coach. Uh, he, it, it was about competing. I would say he was of the old school nature. Um, you know, like Dick Puckett, you know, he wanted you to hit, he wanted you to compete, he wanted to be physical. Um, he wanted to see that side of you. Um, I remember a story too. My dad, um, he was, I, I ran the ball and he was, he, I was looking where I was running for my hole every time, seeing where a linebacker was or where somebody was. And, um, he's telling me, he's like, Ryan, I'm telling you, don't look where you're going. Defenders that are good, they're gonna look at your eyes and they're gonna tell you where you're going. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. 
So we practice, we practice. Two, three minutes later, he's hollering at me again. He's like, Ryan, you're looking where you're running. I'm watching your eyes. You're looking where you're running. I was like, Dad, I, the play ran the other way. I wanted those guys to think I was going over there, so I was looking over there. He's like, okay, good, good, good. But um, he taught me little lessons like that, like little pay attention to little details. So, um, so you're playing multiple sports through your whole kind of youth sports career. Uh, when did you start to recognize that you're, okay, when did you start to recognize you're better than other people at your sports? What happened like within your first... You know, 10, 11, or like 15 is where you really start to see, saw yourself uh, really start to explode. Yeah. Um, boy, good question. I don't know that I can put a timing on that. Um, the other thing my dad was for me is that he was a good mental coach. Um, he always told me that I had something special, so I always believed it, um, even from early on. Um, it was corny, but he would call it like a superpower. He's like, Ryan, when, when you got it, you need to turn it on. You've got it in you, but can't use it all the time but when you're playing these sports and you need a special moment or there's a big play you've got it inside it, you just got to find it and yeah the guys have seen it this and that um so I always believed in my head that I was better or that I was good at whatever I was doing so if I was running a race I always believed I was going to win it um if I was running the football I always believed I was better than anybody else running the football um and because I think of the, that mentality and that belief um it ended up being true. I ended up being good at hockey or good at running or good at these things. All because of this uh, this thing that your dad installed yeah. in you, that, yep. that the belief. Just uh, just the belief, yep. Nothing else, nothing physical, nothing. Just the belief that I had something special. Now, do you have, like, do you have any, like, uh, like your top memories out of your youth sports or it's so far away you can't remember anything? Yeah, I mean, there there are memories. Um, my dad probably, he stopped coaching me in the sixth grade. Um, I remember, um, and as a son, I think you always want to impress your dad. He, my dad tells this story all the time and makes me happy he remembers it, but um, it was just a youth game. We're probably in fifth grade, fourth grade, maybe fifth. Um, and one play, and I'm running, I got the ball, I'm running down the sideline. And there's a there's a kid probably twice my size coming at me. Um, I should have just stepped out, and the, that player probably thought I was gonna step out. But um, I hit him with absolutely everything I had. It was my dad says it's the loudest pop he's heard in youth football. Um, he looks over, and I was standing up, and the other player was down. And he's like, Ryan, at that moment, I, like I know you had it. Like I was proud of you. Like you, you proved to me. And he tells me that story and. Um, it's that competition, those things, and that drove me to want to do more, um, to show more, to be more. Um, it's probably little memories like that on the field that, that motivate me the most. So why did you, um, so as you go into high school, did you continue to play all sports or, or did you, how did you uh, do that from a, from a timing standpoint? Yeah, it's, boy, uh, it was tough for me. Um, my dad was a football player, but I always loved hockey. Um, football and hockey overlapped in that there's physicality there, so I think I learned about myself that I like the physical sport. I gave baseball up first. Um, yeah. um, I gave baseball up first and then football. It was, I was basically a football and a hockey player, and I ran track just to stay in shape. Um, 
I went to football tryouts and whatever. I'm sure I was going to make the team. And the coach, um, I went up and told him, listen, I'm, uh, I've got to play some hockey. It's Thursday nights. It's an elite league, but it's something I have to do. Um, why did you, you feel you have to do that? You had to do that? To play that? Yeah. Uh, I think it was, I've had coaches and other people, and I think the, the hockey landscape has changed a little bit, but it was at a time where I was in 10th, 11th grade, and I was turning in to be like a, it was, it was a chance to be like a real prospect, um, to get recognized by colleges. Uh, at these games would be college scouts, you know, I'm sure you don't know who they're, but they're at your high school game. But you, at that time, too, I always felt like, I need to show some people I have a level of commitment to this game too that I'm not just and, and maybe I was wrong there but that's what I felt at the time okay. I want to show people that I'm committed to hockey and I'm going to play in these things and I'm going to do it um, so my football coach said no I don't want you playing hockey at all I said well I'm, I'm, I'm going to play hockey he's like if you're playing hockey you can't play football I said coach you, you understand I already made up my mind that I can't play football mm-hmm. you know because I'm going to play hockey I said football's got precedent right now if there's an overlap, I'll be at football, right? But on top of that, I'm going to be playing hockey. Oh, so, so it wasn't saying that, hey, look, I'm not going to be able at football on Thursdays? No. You just said, hey, by the way, I'm, just to let you know, yeah. I'm going to be playing hockey on Thursday nights. Right. And then you're telling them later, then he tells you you can't play right. football. And you're, then you're like, well, actually, you know what? It's not going to come because football is my priority. And he still said, no. no. So I quit football. No choice. Um. For a long time, I was, I'm still mad at that person because I had to, it was the hardest conversation I had to do, too, because I had to go home and tell my dad, you know, and my dad, who loved football, and that was his thing. It's what he knew. It's what he understood. He never played hockey, and he learned along the way, but I think he enjoyed watching me play football and the fact that somebody else took it away from us or the ability. Um, it was hard for me as a kid to go home and tell dad, listen, i got to make this choice. And I'm sure it was hard for my dad to be like, okay, you made your choice. So how good were you at football? Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I was good. I was a good athlete. Um, maybe as good as the coach wanted you to be. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I would have played, probably would have played as a, you know, started as a junior, uh-huh. senior, whatever. Probably on that path. So how old were you when you had to make the decision? Uh, my junior year. Junior year. So fall my junior year, I had to quit football all summer everything all that stuff have you ever seen that coach around since then yeah have you ever said anything to him I throw him under the bus whenever <laughs> I can <laughs> awesome yeah um, so it sounded like it was just a kind of a I just it sounds like it was a, I don't want to say a traumatic event but it sounded like you had to go through a lot as you're kind of processing that because now uh, you know you go through the fall the smells it's like it's football season right and as you kind of, you got to turn the page on that. Right. And it was tough. And like I said, the hardest part was, was having to tell my dad who loved football yeah. that, listen, dad, I'm not playing anymore. How did he handle that? He, he, I mean, he handled it okay. Um, it's not like he was going to get upset with me uh-huh. anyway. Um, was he ticked at the coach? I'm sure he was ticked at the coach. Uh-huh. Um, but... Did he give him any speed tickets after that? He put the whole St. Paul police on him? Yeah, no, but and we didn't have a lot. My parents were split. We didn't have a lot of money yeah. around. Uh-huh. Um, and hockey was expensive. Yeah. So more expensive than football, too. Yeah. And then when he's like, okay, so you're picking a sport and you're picking hockey, um, I'm sure he was like, oh, boy. Uh-huh. You know, because it's only going to get more expensive and stuff, too. But um, he, I think he, he was always the one that taught me, too. Like, when you pick, you pick. 
um, if, if you're committed to this, that's what you're doing. Um, so I think at that moment when I told him that it was hockey, he's like, okay, this is, this is what he wants, this is what he's doing. All right, so you go, so you played at White Bear. Yep. White Bear. So you go through, you go through White Bear, you graduate, and then you end up uh, into the USHL. How did that, how did you get to the USHL? That's all part of it. So you play in those elite leagues. I, I mean, I was very fortunate, too. Uh, played in the elite leagues, um, I, and I don't recall, but must have made a decent name for myself around in high school hockey. I was up for Mr. Hockey, uh, which is a big deal here in Minnesota. And um, I was able to sign a tender, so I was able to kind of pick where I wanted to play. Um, there is a, a USHL draft, um, but as a team, I think you get one at least back in 2000. You got tenders, so you could sign a guy, and that got them out of the draft. So I was recruited by the USHL team, Marco Siaki in Green Bay. I signed a tender, so at least I knew where I was going, knew what I was doing, knew where I would play, um, could meet my billet family, stuff like that. So how was the USHL uh, as a transition from high school hockey to now into the USHL? The USHL was great. The hockey was a little bit better. It was tougher. Uh, Marco Siaki was tough, too. What it taught me more was about life. So basically, when, I mean, it's not that my parents didn't help me, but when I packed my car and I moved to Green Bay, it was like I packed my house up and I moved out. I never went back home. I had to learn to be on my own. I lived in somebody else's house, um, and I thank those people to this day. They gave me the opportunity. I don't know what motivated them to open their home to me and give me a room and feed me and do my laundry and things like that. I, I just don't know. Um, but they're just good people and taught me how or how to be a good person or a better person, um, how to grow up fast. You know, it's different. You live your life and everything's so comfortable and your parents do everything for you and then you're out there in the real world and people aren't doing stuff for you. And it was... Uh, it was just a, a learning experience to jump on somebody else's schedule, somebody else's routines, the way somebody else runs their house and lives and does their chores and things like that. And um, it just, I just grew up real fast in a short period of time. So, so you played a couple years in the USHL. Yep. So when did uh, the colleges start coming around? Did you have one offer? Where did you have multiple offers? So when did like when did Mankato start to kind of come into the mix into this? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I thought I was awesome. Um, I thought that I would play one year of junior hockey, I'd have my scholarship, and I'd be gone. Uh, it didn't work that way. Uh, I don't know that I didn't get off to the start I wanted or other guys that I felt were better players or I was better players then were getting scholarships. And um, the schools that were talking to me weren't in the WCHA, which was the Minnesota League at the time. Um, and that's where I wanted to play. Teams that I had talked to when I was a senior in high school um, kind of fizzled out and found their own guys um, and I was about ready to make the decision like okay I'm only going to play one year um, and then I'll go play D3 or something and Mankato came um, they came to a game I ended up going on my visit things went pretty quick and um, I would say that was probably January or February my first year of junior um, but the caveat was they wanted me to play another year time I didn't have a better offer or something else so I agreed to that. So what was like going back that that second year and knowing that you've already committed and just playing one more year? 
It was good because then I had multiple. It was good for me. I had, I had multiple points of input, and I think Mankato, the coaches, I talked to Darren Blue the most, but he was probably the best at um, giving me input on how to play, but not coaching me yet. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. he'd watch games and he'd maybe see like, okay, listen, maybe I don't think maybe you're competing enough, or you want it a little too easy, you're playing on the perimeter, or he wasn't coaching me, just things that he would see. Because um, the other thing is that the junior coaches, you know. They do what they want, and they're in charge of their lineups and things like that. And college has no, you know, say over that. So, Ryan, how do you how are you going to manage this situation? This is, you know, you have this option or this option. What are you going to do? Um, so, um, it was nice. It was also good because I was a leader on that Green Bay team, uh, 19 years old, going into that league. Um, so, it was nice to learn that a little bit and think about other players and the team more than just yourself and how you're going to play. I think that helped me going forward too. All right, so you, now you go to you go to uh, play college hockey. What was the transition like going from USHL to now college hockey? Yeah. So, gosh, this I'm gonna take this back to uh, let's see what was it? A Bantams. Uh-huh. This is where my mentality on hockey changed. Um, regardless of what happened, I always felt like. I got cut from the A team. I didn't make the A team. Um, Bantam A. Yeah. And I was playing on the B team. And the coach I had, I had a lot of respect for. And he just said, listen, Ryan, it doesn't matter. Be the be the best player on every team you play on, and you'll be on the next best team the next year. But it doesn't matter. You can't control what team you're on. You don't pick it. Um, you, all you can control is how you play. So my mentality switched to... I don't care about what team I'm on. I care about being the best player on that team. So then it, it shaped my goals and how I set my goals. So my goal then was just to be the best player on every team. How am I going to do that? Be the best player. How am I going to do that? So then I found little ways to differentiate myself. And my freshman year of college, after two years of junior, I was intimidated. I didn't know. You know, you're going in there with some big boys, 24 years old, seniors. They know the lay of the land, and you come in, and you're hanging out in the dorms. You don't know much. Tail between your legs. But my mentality was, find a way to be the best player on this team. When we come back, what it was like to be an undrafted free agent, and how Ryan dealt with being bullied in a professional dressing room. Stay with us. I'm Corey Koski, and you're listening to How I Got Here from Lakely. Hey, this is Corey Koski. I'm the former major leaguer that got this crazy idea of using sports stories to hopefully encourage youth and high school athletes and their parents as they are on their journey. Since retiring, I have coached over 85 youth sports teams over the last 12 years, and I have seen our world change. Our kids and their parents are more insecure than ever. We are comparing others' best presentation of themselves against how we view ourselves. We are comparing our real life to another's highlight reel. This is not fair. Real life is full of adversity. You will see in all our stories, we are all gonna get knocked down. The successful people get back up and dust themselves off and continue to move forward. There is so much good that can come out of adversity if we allow it. As my mom said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We are looking for sponsors to help us on our mission of connecting youth sports for good. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, you can email me at Corey.Koski at linkleak.com. That's Corey.Koski at linkleak.com. 
With the right partners, we can connect youth sports for good and change this world. In 2006, Ryan signs as an undrafted free agent with the Anaheim Ducks. He is playing in the AHL with their affiliate, the Portland Pirates. But before that, he is still in school in Mankato, not expecting to play professional hockey. He was focusing his energy on school and playing hockey, but more of his energy was focused on his schoolwork. Why does a player with Ryan's ability focus so much on school? For whatever reason, I believed everybody that said, like, you should just focus on going to school because you're not going to play professionally. You know, the, the numbers are so small. The chances of you making it are so small. Um, I believed that, so I focused on school. And that's where my mind was at. And then all of a sudden I was in school, and instead of having the right mentality early, I was surprised to be contacted by NHL teams. I was surprised that there was interest in me. So how many NHL teams contacted you? Uh, there was a couple. Um, I chose Anaheim because David McNabb has a history of, or he did at the time, of choosing one college undrafted free agent, and there was probably five years before me where they give them an honest chance. So they'll give you a chance to play. Um, I think a lot of times in hockey, and I don't know, I can't speak for other sports, but your first round picks get the most chance. It's like a cat, you got nine lives, and then your second round, you've got like eight lives, and then third round, seven. And then all of a sudden, ninth round, you got one chance, right? Same, if you're undrafted, where do you fall on that scale? You know, how many lives do you get? How many chances do you really get? And Anaheim, I think, gave the most chances. So I chose that team. Um, and sure enough, they gave me a chance, just like their history. And um, I was fortunate enough that, you know, that worked out. So you go for, so you signed with Anaheim, then where do you go? So I signed with Anaheim. Um, I actually didn't want to sign, I wanted to stay in school. Uh, but all of a sudden, my other teammates, and I was undrafted, um, David Backus, who has had a pretty darn good career, um, he left after his junior year. He was drafted, he signed. Um, so now I don't have David to play with. Uh, the guy that ran our power play, um, Kyle Pito, he left to go play in Finland. Um, a couple other guys got some trouble off the ice, and they were no longer on the team. So now all of a sudden, I'm staring at a roster that wasn't like it was last year and I'm an undrafted free agent and I'm getting this deal and this actually all happened within that seven day period but July 1 that deal comes I mean I knew it was coming they were telling me all along um, and I said no and then all this happens seven days later they come back they say so Ryan what do you think now if uh, that deal's still on the table for you if you want it take it if not we're going to give it to somebody else so when you say by deal like was it to your contract. So is it a six-figure deal? Is it, do you get signing bonus and all that? Yeah, so at the time it was a, it was the max entry-level contract. I, I couldn't make any more money. It was the best deal I was gonna get. Okay. Um, so what was so what was that back then in those times? Um, I think you made 800, and if you're up in the NHL, you made 850 grand and then you got a 10% bonus. So if you signed a two, three-year deal, you get um, 85 by three. And so, but if you're not in an NHL, is it was it on a was it a split contract? Yeah, it's a two-way deal. Yep. Every entry-level deal, any NHL player signs is a two-way deal. Okay. When you went in an NHL right off the get-go, you went to the American Hockey League, American Hockey League, which is where, where I anticipated going. Yeah. yeah. And so, what was that? So now you you know you go from high school to USHL, USAHL to college, now you're from college to the American Hockey League. Now, what was that? What, what was that kind of jump? Because now you're playing with like men. Right. And. 
savvy, political, smart men, um, where they understand minutes and how to work it, and, um, you know, the, the American League, it's weird, minors, anybody that's never played in the minors, your actual competition is the guys in your locker room, it's not the guys you're playing against, and the veteran guys, I think, know that, and they use that a little bit, and um, I think hazing has left the game a little bit, but there's always positioning and there was always things that guys and veteran players did to make sure you knew that it was their team and they're the next one up, right? Um, so how would they, how would they do that? If you responded to that, well, I mean, I could, I could go on and on and tell stories, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're, they're, I remember, I, I could tell this story where I remember in ho- fighting this hockey, I don't condone yeah, yeah. this behavior, yeah. but um, there's, we have a post-practice workout and I'm riding on a bike. The veteran guy, who probably is the next call-up, wanted the bike that I was on. And I'm not sure if it's because it was his bike or it's because I was on that bike, right? So he tells me to get off that bike mid-workout. I didn't know how to handle that, so I got off the bike, right? Well, I should have handled it differently because then it continues to go that way, right? And there continues to be some dominance forced upon you and, you know, things known and... Um, I end up getting uh, stopped in the hallway. This is a couple months later. Um, I get stopped in the hallway. Everybody knows what's going on. Management, coaches, everybody. Um, I didn't know that at the time. Um, and they just said... So who stopped you in the hallway? Uh, somebody in management. Okay. And they just said to me, if you have a problem, I'm just letting you know you can deal with it. And that's all they said. They pulled three rookies or four of us together. We're all right there in the hallway, and that's what they said. So the next day, we went out and practice. We're skating in our laps just as the warm-up, and he comes over and knocks the puck off my stick, and I jumped him. Uh-huh. So we fought. And then we go, and the next battle drill, he comes at me, and we, we did it again. Um, I think it was probably three days later I got called up and didn't come back down. It's interesting because it sounds like, you know, the whole world knows bullying, 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 bullying. Yeah, and it sounds like you got bullied in your professional first yeah, professional 20, season at twenty. Yeah, and that and that and that's the way it is. That's why, I do. and I don't know if things have changed. I think they have. I think people in general are, are nicer, but um, but you learn how to handle it. You learn how to handle it. Yeah, and you learn the messages that are being sent to you, and and things to do, and what not to do, and how to handle it, and how not to handle it. Um, Obviously, now if somebody told me to get off a bike, I wouldn't get off a bike, you know? And those are the things that people, that management want to see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know? But yeah, you got bullied and hazed and all that, and how'd you deal with it? If you could deal with it, you kept playing. If you couldn't, maybe you were gone. Huh, interesting. They, um, so you get called up, and you end up winning the Stanley Cup. How much of that season? So you, you played, uh, you know, a couple games through that, uh, but then it sounded like you, you were healthy scratch play. Like, what was that kind of going through that? How was that? Yeah, it. I played that entire year in the American League. Um, that we didn't make the playoffs, so that's an unsuccessful year. I didn't have great feelings about that, but the big club was doing well. Anaheim was doing well, and they were making the playoffs. So what they do is they, they bring some of the prospects up and you practice away from the team, but you get a 
a good close view of what it's like to play in the NHL and to play in the playoffs and how important it is and things like that. So I was around. Um, next thing I know, there's an injury and they need somebody to practice. So now I'm practicing with the big club. You know, just filling the hole. No big deal, but it's a big deal. Um, then they play a round or two. I'm still there. Um, ironically, I'm like, geez, I can't problem. I've been practicing for six straight weeks. And, you know, I kind of just want to go home. And then I get the phone call. Brian, you're playing tomorrow. And I was like, what? No way. So what you play against? So my first career game was against uh, the Detroit Red Wings in the Western Conference Final. Yeah. I was nervous as I'll get out. So how was that? Good. It was, I mean, it was good. Um, I was nervous. Uh, I didn't play a ton. Uh, I remember sitting there next to Team Mussolini, and I read the press releases, and it was the furthest, that was the furthest Team Mussolini had ever played in his career, right, mm-hmm. into the playoffs. It was my first ever game. <laughs> so I was like, this isn't right. Uh-huh. Do, do not screw this up for him tonight. You uh-huh. know? And, uh, but it was fun. It was so fun. how many shifts did you get? Uh, boy, I couldn't tell you. We didn't play a ton, I know that. Um, but I finished that series out and then played in the finals. And um, I mean, I wasn't a huge part of it, but I was there for it. Well, you got your name on the cup. Yeah. That's what matters. That's right. <laughs> um, so you played three seasons with Anaheim, and then one with Carolina, one with Florida, uh, before the, the, the Panthers waived you in the 2011-2012 season. What is going on in your head after you, know, you have some time in the NHL and all, now you get waived. Yep. What's, how, is, how do you process that? That was tough. Um, I actually had to make a tough decision before that. I played three years in Anaheim. Um, I don't know that I necessarily had worn out my welcome personally, but uh, they needed something fresh. Um, and my contract, it was at the end, it was the last year of my contract. And I was getting scratched and things weren't going well. And I knew that I needed to make a move. Um, that if I just continued to do what I was going to do here, I'd just be swept under the rug and probably disappear. So I went up and asked for a trade, um, which I didn't want to do. It goes against a lot of my character, things like that. But um, I felt that I needed to do something. And the general manager was like, you don't think I've been trying to trade yet? (laughs) And I was like, what, seriously? I was like, this is how it goes, all right. Um, So I ended up getting traded to Carolina. For a couple of guys, and I don't know that they ever played in the NHL, but it was just to get me out of there. Um, uh, played in Carolina, 20-something games, got hurt, tore my oblique. I got traded to Florida hurt. It was just a money move um, to move the money. So they can trade you hurt? Yep, as long as the other team knows it. Um, so they took me on hurt. I came back and played sooner than I should have. I think the coach in Florida respected that. The team wasn't good at the time. They had sold all their assets, so it was basically a minor league team playing in Florida. Um, the coach respected that um, I think he liked the way I played and the way I prepared and things like that um, I ended up resigning in Florida that coach ended up getting fired and then going to New Jersey so I go through training camp and the new coach they hire was my coach in the minors so I knew him um, and we had a relationship but right off the bat he's pretty honest it didn't look like I was going to make the team. He wanted a different kind of team and a different kind of, you know, individual playing there. Um, I could have played great and maybe made it, um, but I knew 
maybe something was coming, and I was prepared for that mentally. So I thought maybe I was going to play in the American League and I'd have to be good there and then maybe get a sniff again. Um, but luckily, um, the coach in New Jersey went to bat for me and they claimed me off of waivers. So I never ended up having to play. And the coach in is? Pete DeVore. Pete DeVore, yeah. Yep. So, and then you, uh, you said there was a playing with the Devils was the best two months of your career. Yeah. Why, why? So, gosh, if you, if you get a taste of winning, um, I think you realize it tastes pretty darn good, and you want more. Um, what I really wanted more of was that, but to be a bigger part of it. And I got a chance. Pete DeBoer gave it to me. He picked me up on, they picked me up on waivers, um, and I went in there with the mentality to, to compete and do whatever they asked me. And they liked that, they respected that, and I played. Um, and that playoff run, um, I had the same mentality, same beliefs, and um, for guys that should have had a little role, we had a big role, and we played well, and we helped them. had a good run, games. too. Yeah. Um, we ended up losing in the finals in six games to L.A., uh, but um, that was the most rewarding stretch where I was so close to being out of the game. I was at the bottom of the barrel, and then I was so close to touching the top of it. So it was just a stressful but a fun ride. So, okay, so 2014, you signed with the Wild. How did that come to uh, fruition? Yeah, so again, uh, I turned down a deal in New Jersey. That would have been my my biggest contract. I turned it down, a two-year deal. Um, right. Because I wanted to win, and I felt like the team wasn't going to win. Um, turns out I was right. They haven't won. But it was tough. Um I felt that maybe if things didn't go well right off the bat, that the coach would be gone, and then things wouldn't look the way I wanted it to look like. So I said no to that deal. Um, that was also that was a terribly nerve-wracking time because that was July one. Well, July second came around, and I don't have a deal. July third came around, I don't have a deal. So I turned down the biggest deal I was ever offered, and then I sat on nothing until training camp. And then I went to training camp on a PTO in New Jersey, so that's a professional tryout, no guarantees. Uh, I played, gosh, I don't even, uh, maybe one exhibition game there, and then I get a call from the Wild. We got a deal for you. So I was like, okay, awesome. You know, I was so excited I get to come home, but I remember sitting there thinking to myself, hey, you can't be too emotional about this, you gotta think about it. You know, take your emotions out and think about it. So I went back to management in New Jersey and we talked through it and he's like give me a little while to see if I can do something and um, and then I know it was hard but I had to walk in there and say listen I'm leaving I'm going to Minnesota again um, and he said okay great good luck and I signed here and boom next thing I was playing so you played two years uh, two years with the wild uh, and you're coming home you know outside of coming home what was the best part of being with the, with the Wild? It was great for a lot of reasons. I had my first daughter, and my second one was actually born um, right when I left um, to play in that PTO. So I was able to come home. My wife needed help. My daughter was there. Everything was great. you know. And then on top of it, it was, it's a, it was a boy's dream to be able to play for the big club in the hometown. So 
I got to knock two of those things off my bucket list and um, to get the opportunity to play at home um, in a league and a situation that mattered so much to me and then to be able to share it with my kids and the pictures I have with my kids, uh, you know, even just in the locker room or sweaty and dirty and gross, but the fact that I was able to share it with them and my family and at home um, in St. Paul where my dad worked, where my family belongs. Um, it was How cool. excited was your, was your dad uh, and your family here to, to watch this? I think they were excited. My dad always tempers expectations, so he always tries to bring it back down a little bit. He doesn't want to get too excited and he doesn't want to be too down. So um, I think he was excited. I think he was happy. I think he was proud. And um, The fact that I was able to give him those feelings is also very rewarding. So what was the hardest part about playing back here with Minnesota? I would say the hardest part then is the pressure that comes with that because it's not just your family. You're representing your family. Uh, it, you go from playing in a market where you don't care that much about it to now I care about everybody and everybody cares about this. I've got friends. I've got family. I've got all of this. And I want to resent or represent them all in the right way. How do I do that? And then you get pulled in a lot of directions and you're like, how do I make everybody happy and be consistent where somebody's not telling a story, he's doing this for them and not this for them. Um, so it was challenging managing all of that and trying to make sure that you or I still put myself in good situations with good people and didn't get myself in any kind of trouble or get distracted or things like that. So how did you manage all that? Um, I practiced saying no, yeah. in all honesty. I just said no. Um, and I wasn't the best at saying no, so sometimes I would just ignore. Um, and that was, it was more comfortable for me, you know. But um, at the end of the day, I guess it made me have to be a little bit stronger person too because if somebody doesn't like me because I say no, then they're not going to like them. You know, they're not there for the right reasons anyways. But um, that's kind of how I dealt with that. So do you have any memories of, of any coaches through your youth experience? Um, you know, you talked about a couple, you know, your football coach uh, that – uh, that really affected you either uh, from a positive way or a negative way? Yeah, 100%. So I call myself a product of uh, my environment. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood that was focused on hockey, and the neighbor right up my back door played for the Gophers, um, late 70s, really good player, Robin Larson. And... They did all the work and put the rink in their backyard, so I was able to just run outside and play on their rink, and it was their resources. They, you know, they paid for the lights. They bought the boards. You know, I'd go out there and shovel, but that's all I had to give. Um, but what they gave me was more important than what anybody's ever given me. It was just a place to go play, and um, he, I actually was able to play with him and his son. Uh, growing up to who is the best man in my wedding, uh, my best friend, things like that. So um, I'll always be thankful to them for that. So um, what is there anything happened in youth sports? Uh, you know, you talk about you know the impacts of of these situations, and so uh, you know if something happened in youth sports that wasn't uh, what that was really impactful to you um you know what you know what did you learn learn from that and how do you try to apply that now in your, in your life yeah I'd say the number one lesson I learned was 
I'm not perfect and I'm not good all of the time. And there are going to be opportunities for people to tell me that I'm not good. And how am I going to respond to that? So it was always about response. And it was always about cleaning the slate. So you want to believe what you hear or do you want to do something about it? What can you prove? So um, if, you didn't, if I didn't make a team, what can I prove? How can I say something with my actions, not with my mouth? You know, how do I do it? How do I respond? So many teams do you not make? Uh, I think I didn't make a peewee team. Um, uh, I was cut the, I didn't make the high school team, right, as a 10th grader. I had to play junior varsity. Bantam too? Uh, yep. So I made the peewee team, not the Bantam. Um, yeah, Bantam, okay. And so that's kind of how that, uh, so kind of, kind of going through this stuff and, um, getting cut from Bantam, getting cut from high school, it kind of helped you define that, hey, look, I'm not perfect, I'm not good at it, but it's about what I can do through my actions. Right, and, and what you're founded on. So I had to think about where's my foundation, what am I good at? And the answer was competing. Um, I, general managers and coaches, I hear them say it all the time, like, do what you do good, don't try to do everything. And just be good at what you're good at and be consistent in that. And that was always what I fell back on if I was lost or if I didn't know or I was confused. All right, buddy, get back to your roots. And I say that because I talk to myself yeah. in my head, you know, like, get back to your roots. What are you good at? What can you do that somebody else can't do? Well, you can out-compete. You can try to out-compete everybody. So if there's a 50-50 puck, out-compete them. If there's a race to a puck, out-compete them. If it's you versus him, out-compete them. So how do you so how do you apply this what you learned at, at the youth sports? How do you how do you how do you apply that to what you do now? Because now you're now you're out of hockey, and uh, you made the decision to retire. And now you're working for the Wild. Uh, now you're in quote unquote the real world. So how do you apply that lesson to what you're what you're doing now? So I think you're, I'm always competing, and um, it's a it's a dedication, and I also think that success is rooted in self-sacrifice. So what can I do to stand out, to differentiate? How can I sacrifice? What can I sacrifice? Is it my time? Is it energy? Is it um, resources? Whatever it is, what can I sacrifice that somebody else isn't willing to sacrifice? How can I stand out? How can I compete? You know, because I think you're always competing. At least in anything I want to do, I want to do it well. And that's how I look at it, and that's how I apply those lessons now. So what are you founded on, Ryan? You're coming into this, everything's new. What are you founded on? You know, compete, be good, try hard, be honest. So um, at least for my career, uh, for me, I've learned, like, I had these young learning lessons when I was younger. And then, I, and then as I play, as I get older, and I get to going through, you know, more... Uh, veteran type guys that learn other things from other people. So what, you know, what happened? Is there, is there any events or, or uh, is there any events that impacted you kind of past your, your high school career, like college professional that, you know, you, there's, as you reflect, there's some big takeaways you have from, from that as you learned later on in your career. Yeah. I mean, I would say most of that stuff is, is probably off the ice. Um, situations where maybe I got myself into a sticky spot or said yes to some people that I shouldn't have said yes to and um, maybe I came out of it clean but it was close right where like 
Brian, you know, do you understand that this could have gone sideways and you could have risked it all doing that, you know? Um, so it helped me realize how even little minor decisions on who you're hanging out with Friday night could cost you everything and how you need to be so smart and pick the people that um, you can trust and that you believe in to be around because um, it really only takes one small decision that you don't think about where you're like, yeah, I'll hang out with those guys tonight. Next thing you know, you're a yes guy and everybody's in trouble, you know, and you're along with it. Even though that's not what you intend to do, you're there. Um, so I was in, I mean, I think as a young boy growing up, I think you get in those spots and um, I was fortunate enough to recognize those before I actually got in any real trouble because um, that's the danger in it is I think the off-ice stuff. I learned a couple things from the story today. Number one, how to deal with failure. When Ryan got cut from his Bantam A team, and then what his Bantam B coach told him to be the best player on the ice, that was a big learning lesson that I can apply to my life, and I'm gonna to try to teach to my kids. Doesn't matter what team you're on, it's about being the best player on that team. The second thing I learned is about bullying. Ryan was getting bullied in the professional hockey room when he was in the AHL and he learned to stand up for himself. I couldn't imagine being in that situation as a young player. And you have these older guys just basically trying to take advantage of you. But Ryan stood up for himself and didn't allow that to happen. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read the stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky. You've been listening to How I Got Here from Linklate. A special thanks to Wade Beavers, Sean Lee, Jim Kozlowski, and Maria Holmes.